This is the Todd and Friends Podcast. I don't like to waffle on predictions. That doesn't mean I always hope I'm right. Oh, what's he going to do? <laughs> oh, come on. I'm with you. So, thank that. you. Yeah, I'm with you. Todd, I knew we'd agree on something here. <laughs> From the KWLM Sports Studio. With thanks to Heritage Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Here's Todd Bergaff. Thanks for joining us for the podcast once again today on these Tuesdays during Timberwolves season. The voice of the Minnesota Timberwolves, Alan Horton, joins us here on the podcast. Alan, and well... Another undefeated week since last we talked last Tuesday. Another 3-0 and week, 15-4. and I saw you uh, X out, do they call it that now, or tweet out, uh, that it's the best 19-8 game start in franchise history. Uh, the Wolves are tough, and their defense continues to look stellar. I will, I will always go with Twitter. I will never switch to calling it X. Um, I, I still refer to it the old way, yes. despite what Elon Musk might want us to do. But um, no, this is a very workmanlike approach, um, Todd. It's just a, it's, it's, it, the, the tone was set in training camp and preseason. This team comes in, gets its work done. It's not, you know, it, it's, it's not getting high on uh, two or three wins in a week or five or ten wins over the first couple of weeks of the season. Um, it's a very workmanlike approach, and it's um, it's paid off. They have the best record in the West. They have the best record in the NBA with Boston's loss last night, and uh, they're still riding the number one defense in the NBA, and they're making life awfully difficult for all the opponents uh, they continue um, to face. Yeah, no doubt, and 14 out of 16 uh, for the squad and so forth. Chris Finch named the Western Conference Coach of the Year, uh, uh, not of the year, of the month, for the month of uh, November. Uh, Finch hey, coach is of the Year in. sounds pretty good, too, though. It's possible. He's, he's on, it might be on his way. That's right. He's certainly got to be one of the leaders in the clubhouse so far for that, for that award. He's done a great job. He's got everybody on the same page this year. And uh, Mike Conley, after practice today, was you know, you know, Chris Finch huddles everybody up at the beginning of it and end of every practice or shoot around, and uh, any announcements. And Mike Conley stepped forward and said, "Hey, coaches, coach of the month." And so the players a big round of ovation for Chris Finch, and he quickly followed it up with, "Hey, it's not about me. It's um, this is a reflection of how you guys are playing." And so this is a this is a team recognition. Same thing that happens when you know Ant won Player of the Week uh, a couple of weeks ago. Before his before his injury to his right hip, um, you know that's a reflection of the team because basically you're not winning those awards if you're going two and two or one and three during a week. You need to have a perfect week record wise, mm-hmm. and that speaks to the team. It can't be one player leading the way, and it's not one coach um, leading the way over the first uh, six weeks of the season. No doubt, and and uh, you know it seems as though he's changed his philosophy on how to use Rudy Gobert on offense. It seemed like last year they were getting it to Gobert at the high post more. It's a lot more lob and dunk and get the ball to him down in the paint more now, isn't it? It I, I think there's just it's it's more just a little tweaking here and there. I think yeah. there have been tweaks offensively, I think there have been tweaks defensively. Um and, and, and I think you add that into the rest of the team around Rudy being more comfortable with him and Rudy himself being more comfortable with his teammates in the system with the coach. And that takes time. And last year Chris Finch thought it would take forty to fifty games for for Rudy to feel comfortable, in particular, playing next to Carl Anthony Towns, like mm-hmm. it's just that's a different role for Cat. It's going to take some time for them to develop, um, and they never got that last year because Cat missed fifty-three games. And so, really, what we're now seeing is that you know, with Cat and Rudy specifically, those two have been really good to start the year. And guess what? We're at about forty games those guys have played together um, in their career over the first two years. It helped Gobert become more comfortable once they acquired Mike Conley, too, didn't it? No doubt, no doubt. Uh, it's it's a point guard that um, Rudy is 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 unique to play with, and 
You need to know when to get him the ball, how to get him the ball, and Mike Conley knows that from playing three years together um, with the Utah Jazz. And so, you know, the addition of Mike, I think, is just it can't be understated. It, it, Todd, it's amazing the difference um, the switch at the point guard spot has been. And that's not to denigrate what D'Angelo Russell did, but his attributes, his strengths, were not what this current team needed. They needed someone more like Mike Conley, who's more of a pass-first point guard, yet can still you know, excel when needed to. He, he's, they're, they're, you never have to question his shots. You never have to question his decision-making, because Mike Conley is as good as it gets with that part of his game. Um, and you can see that down the stretch. The Timberwolves are 7-1 and one in clutch time, so close games. They have the best record in the NBA. Plus, they have the most games this year where they've blown out opponents, where they have had a 20-point lead. So, the Wolves are getting it done in blowouts, in, in beating teams, and building that lead, and pushing it to a larger margin. And they're also finding ways to win those tight games down the stretch. Um, and, and everybody has kind of followed in behind Mike. And it's been um, his play down the stretch against Charlotte the other night was a great example. He took over down the stretch, made the right decisions, got the ball to the right people. And, and, and a couple of times, that was himself calling his own number. And I, I asked him after the game, I really enjoyed his three-point play where he went off a screen he got the big kind of trailing him, and he angled back into the big to draw the contact. And he floated up the shot. It went in, made a three-point game, a six-point game, essentially sealed it. And he told, me, he told me that he'd been setting that up the entire game. He was waiting for that moment to use that play. He knew it was coming, and he cashed in, and it helped seal the deal. That's the kind of, that's the kind of um, you know, experience that Mike Conley brings. He's thinking the whole game through before he even gets into the game, isn't he? And you don't, you know, like, if he goes three for nine from the field, you don't question the nine shots. Sometimes he'll hit five of them. Sometimes he'll hit seven of them. Sometimes he'll hit three. But you don't ever have to worry about his decision making. I mean, to go 200 minutes um, earlier this season without a turnover when yeah. you're a point guard and you have the ball in your hands that much, that's amazing. 200 minutes. I mean, I, oftentimes I think they give point guards a turnover just to start the game because, <laughs> you know, sometimes an errant pass. Even though it, it it might be on the player receiving it wasn't in the right spot, they give it to the point guard. So to go 200 minutes as a point guard without a turnover is just, that's a ridiculous stat. Yeah. Explain what clutch time is in accordance to how it's kept as a statistic in the NBA. Yeah, so they wanted to find some, you know, find a way to, you want to rank who who is who is good at the end of games. And so you can use a lot of different markers with the amount of time left or the score differential. But pr- primarily, uh, the NBA uses under five minutes to play in a game within five points. They've decided that that's kind of a close enough margin where we can now look at teams' records during that stretch. We can look at uh, who performs well, what the offensive rating is, what the defensive rating. Um, and you can choose different parameters if you want to say, well, that's, that's too much of a margin. Okay, you want to make it a one-possession game, you go plus or minus three points with three minutes left or two minutes left. You can break all of those down. Uh, but whatever markers you choose, there will often be some games that kind of drift into that area and then go out of that area, mm-hmm. um, depending on how teams are playing. But um, I, I think pretty much five minutes with, with, with the score within five points is is pretty good because teams can make up such a ground that's only that's less than two possessions. You know, that's a, that's a three and a two, and you're and you've got the tie the game tied up. So I think it's really interesting because. Todd, half, half your games end up in clutch time. That's mm-hmm. the league average. So 82 games, you know, at least 41 of them. Um, sometimes you can be as high as 50 games. There's a lot of variance there. You know, but for the most part, half your games are going to come in clutch time. Other teams are good. You'd love to, you know, Daryl Morey once said, good teams don't win clutch games. They avoid clutch games. Mm-hmm. Because once you get into those final five minutes, now the games become shortened, and an underdog team um, has more of an advantage and more of an even shot 
at pulling it out because there are fewer possessions and then some luck and some variance comes into the equation. And so if you can maybe avoid clutch time, that's the ideal goal. But really good clutch time teams just, you know, they usually have a good point guard. And Mike Conley has been around and won a lot of games um, in clutch, whether it was with the Memphis Grizzlies during the grit and grind era, the Utah Jazz, um, always good down the stretch. And the Wolves this year, excellent down the stretch. And guess what? Chris Finch is an excellent coach down the stretch, too. Yeah. His clutch time record is sixth best in the NBA since he took over. And that's going back three-plus seasons now. Um, and when he had taken over, the Wolves had lost 33 of their prior 45 clutch time games. Mm-hmm. That's, how, that's how drastic the change has been with Chris Finch coming in. Yeah, you referenced that's where a coach really makes his bones by getting those wins home late in games. Uh, how does he go about doing that? Is it about the rotations and things or play calls? What makes Finch a good clutch time coach? I think it's a lot of things. Um, I think it's preparation so that uh, your team knows what they're doing in those situations, whether they're up two, up three, or down two or three. Um, it helps to have veteran players on the floor that know how to execute, take care of the basketball. Um, to me, it's a, all about execution, right? You only have so many possessions with that clock winding down with only a couple of minutes left, so you only know you're going to get four or five chances at this. So who can execute the best? Um, and, and, yes, it does come down to play calling. It, it comes down to who you've got on the floor. You've got to trust the five on the floor. It might not be your starting five that are finishing the game. It might be on a particular night someone who's maybe got the hot hand and you want to go with them down the stretch over someone else. Those are all critical parts of, of executing down the stretch. Troy Brown Jr., case in point. The guy has the hot hand. Finch sticks with him right to the end of the game. He's been playing really well these last four or five games now. He's found himself in the starting lineup and will be back probably tomorrow night. So he'll probably come back off the bench. But that's really encouraging for Minnesota that um, you can have a guy. It shouldn't be overlooked that the Wolves have done this basically without Jaden McDaniels most of the season. And the games mm-hmm. that Jaden has played, He's been in foul difficulty in, uh, you know, probably 90% of them. Mm. And so that's altered the rotation a little bit. Um, and the Wolves have not gotten, they've gotten a great production from Nas Reed off the bench. There's no doubt about that. And Troy Brown Jr. has come on. We've seen moments from Shake Milton, but I think the best of Shake is still to come. He's too good a player that he showed the last few years in, in Philadelphia not to, not to put up similar type numbers here with Minnesota. I think he'll get going. Um, and then when you mix Jaden Ant and Jordan McLaughlin, who's now back practicing, um, to give to give Mike Conley maybe a, an extra breather or so, I think um, I, I just think I just think there's a ways to go too. And mm-hmm. I and I think I get that sense from Chris Finch that you know just 15 and four is not not the finish line. And there's a ways to go offensively. This team can be better. Uh, you can get more production from different guys in different lineups. Um, I think I think they're really eager to see. You know, especially when we start going on the road. I think after tomorrow night, the Wolves play seven of their next nine games on the road against some really good opponents, um, and that will be a true test because they have caught a little bit of a break early on in this season. They face six teams that are on the second of a back-to-back. They've only had that situation once so far. Um, this in-season tournament, um, not making it, going three and one, and giving yourself a chance, um, you lose the tiebreaker. But so you're not in the in-season tournament, and then you get assigned Memphis and San Antonio. Those are the 14th and 15th ranked teams in the Western Conference, and if the Wolves can make hay against those two, you know this really works out well. It's also given them a break. They last played Saturday. They had a day off Sunday. They had two days of practice. I, I can't tell you the last time they had two days of practice in a row. Right. Monday was the first day of practice they've had in 17 days. It's on a non-game day. They've had that. shoot-arounds. They've gotten into the gym, um, but shoot-arounds not the same as a practice. On an off day, 
coming in and getting your work in for a couple of hours. That's what the Wolves have been able to do the last couple of days. And this, this in-season tournament has created a nice little break almost a quarter of the way through the season just to kind of regroup, um, you know, catch your breath, you yeah. know, heal some bumps and bruises, and get right back out there for what's going to be a, a, a busy, you know, pre-Christmas schedule. Best record in the NBA as it stands going into tonight's games. Have the Wolves ever had that, where they had the best record in the league at 20 games into a season? Uh, no, you have to go all the way back to the 03-04 season when they mm. finished uh, finished the year with the number one record in the NBA. So mm. it's been it's been a season of records so far, whether it's uh, league wide or franchise records. It's um, it's it's been impressive. Yeah, no doubt about that. And and uh, continuing this week with the games added in against San Antonio uh, and Memphis, and you just uh, referenced how that uh, didn't hurt the Timberwolves at all. It's it's might actually help them in the long run that they didn't make the quarterfinals yeah. of the NBA Cup. Yeah, you're not playing um, you know, really good opponents on the road, perhaps. Maybe you have to go on the road for the first one, then you go to Vegas. That's extra travel for both of those games. Those are high-impact games. Um, yeah, this might have worked out in the long run. And I tell you what, back to another record the Wolves can set. If they win against San Antonio tomorrow night, that'll be 15 wins in 17 games. And wow. they've never had a stretch like that in franchise history. Wow. Over 17 games, they've never won 15. They've gone 14 and three a number of times, but this would be this would be another record for 35 years of Timberwolves basketball. They've never gone 15 and two in a 17 game stretch. So that's it's um it's you know it, it, well what's great is that they're just they're not satisfied by that at all, and they the coaching staff keeps pushing and the players keep pushing themselves to get better and better and better. Yeah. This is the year that the Wolves have been pointing toward. This is why they made the trade for Rudy Gobert uh, last offseason was they felt like if they put this together, they could be like this. They could make this run. They could be one of the best teams uh, in the NBA. Uh, You had to have the right guy in charge. They found that in Finch, and you had to get the big men to play together capably. They're doing just that. This isn't surprising the Timberwolves, is it, that they're this good right now? No, this was the best case scenario when you yep. made the trade for Rudy Gobert and acquiring Mike Conley and Nikhil Alexander Walker. Mm-hmm. It's uh you know, it's it, it I was hoping that it would have been last year that this kicked in, but yeah. sometimes um, you know, good things come to those who wait, right? And you you had to go through last year to get to this year. You had to get Rudy to a point where he's comfortable, more comfortable now than he was last year. And then back to my point about the teammates being around him. It's all kind of flowing together this year. And last year was just kind of a learning experience, and it just kind of it didn't all coalesce beautifully. This year it is, um, and it's just taken an extra year. And the Wolves find themselves in a really good position. They're defending really well. I feel like their offense still has another level to get to as far as consistency goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get Ant back healthy, and you now you're starting to build something up again towards Christmas. The uh, Edwards, Towns, Gobert, Reed, all under contract for multiple years. So the the foundation of the team is set for the next several years. Good thing because they traded all their draft picks off. But where's Jaden McDaniels contract-wise? I haven't paid attention. Is he under contract? Yeah, so he signed, his, he, he signed a contract extension before the start of the season. They ah. finally got that done. And so he is locked up for the next, uh, I don't know if it was a four- or five-year deal off the okay. top of my head. But he's locked up as well. And there are going to be some questions going forward. Um, starting next season, where those salaries, you add them all up, and guess what? It's pretty darn expensive. Mm. Um, and so those are questions that still need to be answered. It's kind of the elephant in the room, but I think everyone's kind of taking, at least everyone not on the basketball operations side, they probably have a very keen eye on what's coming in the future. Can they afford the luxury tax? Will they pay the luxury tax? Because that's what it's going to take to keep this group together 
but you have to kind of see where this thing goes. Yeah, it's off to a great start, uh, but they need to see it come to fruition in the postseason before making their determination, I think, for next year, if and when they're going to bring all these guys back. Yeah, the NBA uh, salary cap is more of a soft cap, right? I mean, you can exceed it as long as it's re-signing your own guys to larger contracts and then the luxury tax kicks in. Am I close there? Yeah. Yeah, you can go over the salary cap if it's under those circumstances that you talked about, Mm -hmm. but then it's the luxury tax. And if you are over that, then you pay a penalty. You pay, um, depending on what the team is, if you've done this multiple years in a row, sometimes you pay $2 for every $1 over. That gets pretty expensive pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just a dollar-for-dollar dollar tax, and that money gets redistributed at the end of the year to all the teams that do not pay the luxury tax. So um, it kind of helps balances things out financially for those teams that, that, uh, did, uh, that it penalizes those teams that overspend mm-hmm. to try to make their teams better. So um, the Wolves have not found themselves in luxury tax very often through the years. Usually you only do that for a really good team, but it looks like this is going to be a really good team, and it sets up a really interesting question going forward. Victor Wembanyama, you guys will see him tomorrow night at Target Center, the 7-foot, 4-inch, well, he looks like a wing, really, how he plays. Victor Wembanyama, how's he been doing so far this year? What have you seen? Is, is he as good as advertised? Hmm. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. He's, just, he's been really impressive. He's... Um, it's amazing seeing he and Chet Holmgren. Um, he's, Wembenyama has a few inches on Chet, but both of those guys, uh, it's a new breed of big man. Um, you know, I think we've got a big man in Carl Anthony Towns that's, that's a unicorn that can, that can dribble and pass and uh, distribute, rebound, shoot inside and outside. But I think Wembenyama and Chet Holmgren have kind of taken it to a whole other level. Those guys are seven foot plus, and they are handling the ball like guards. There's pull up threes being taken by Wembenyama. Um, it's he's really been impressive um, with all the numbers he's put up. Uh, what I worry about with him is that you know they've lost 14 consecutive games, and it's been a real struggle um, for them to win. And I, I just you know I've been around losing a long time with this franchise, and I know what it does to young players. And I worry that um, you know it's only his rookie year, but look, eventually players all get hurt too, so he's going to miss some time eventually. And I know you have him for four years, and then the, the, he'll probably get a max contract extension. They'd probably sign that to him right now if they could. Um, so you're going to have him for a number of years. But guess what? Those go by quick. And I don't, I don't kind of see there's, – there's some ways that they could be more competitive that look pretty obvious right now, mm-hmm. mainly putting Trey Jones, the Apple Valley product, um, and Tyus Jones' younger brother at the point. Mm-hmm. Uh, they play much better with him at the point, but they won't do that. And I'm, I'm not quite sure why. Mm-hmm. I think you want to surround a young player as talented as Wemby as good as Chet Holmgren, those guys, okay, he's a little different because they're a better team, but you need to win some games. You need to back up what you're teaching with wins. Winning is the best um, implement or tool to, I think, developing players. It's not, it's not going through 14-game losing streaks. So yeah. I kind of feel for him a little bit, but far be it from me to question what Greg Popovich has done because he's in his 28th year right. and has more wins as a coach than anybody in the NBA. Right. Uh, Spurs tomorrow night at the Target Center. We'll be tuned in. Alan, thanks so much. You got it, Todd. Take care. Alan Horton, voice of the Minnesota Timberwolves on the Todd and Friends podcast. It's brought to you by Heritage Bank. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Watch for future episodes of the Todd and Friends podcast at kwlm.com or on the air here at KWLM, 1340 AM and 96.3 FM.